Startle us, O God, with your truth, your love, and the amazing moving of your story throughout history and today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be acceptable in your sight. For you, O Lord, are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's sermon is the second in a series I'm preaching on Bible stories I've never talked about before in a sermon. Some of those passages I have avoided because they were not favorites of mine. Others I have just not gotten around to because, let's face it, the Bible is a big book. Today's lesson falls into that second category. I was quite surprised a few weeks ago in my sermon planning when it dawned on me that I have never preached on the Sunday school favorite known as Jonah and the Whale. In case you missed that day when you were in Sunday school, here's the basic story. A man is called by God. His name is Jonah. He is called to go to the great city of Nineveh and to warn them that their sinful living is about to catch up with them and the city is going to be destroyed. Jonah, frightened by this mission, leaves his hometown and runs in the opposite direction. He boards a boat and heads out to sea. A great storm arises in the sea. God is thwarting Jonah's plans to run away. And when the boat's crew discovers that Jonah is running away from the will of God, they throw him over the side of the boat and the storm is calmed. But because Jonah's mission is not yet accomplished, he does not drown. He is swallowed by a giant fish who vomits him up onto the beach where God meets Jonah again and says, as I was saying, Jonah, go to Nineveh. (laughs) Jonah follows the directions this time, and against all odds, the people of Nineveh listen to Jonah, and the city is saved. As Sunday school children are taught this story, generally with a moral like the one Tina taught to our children this morning, God sometimes asks big things of us, and if you should hear God's calling, you would be wise to listen. For more more mature readers, the story has some wonderful nuances. And it raises very interesting questions about duty and responsibility, and about God's faithfulness to us in times when we struggle. On a basic level, this story is about a young man who runs away from something. This happens all the time. In history, both ancient and modern, in stories that are based on fact and stories that are fiction, life is full of good stories about people who are running away. I recently saw a speech by the famous American con artist turned FBI agent Frank Abagnale. Some of you might remember his story from your own life, or you might have been reminded of it a few years ago by the movie Catch Me If You Can. Frank Abagnale was a 16-year-old kid who ran away from home. 
And over the course of a decade or so, he figured out how to impersonate a Pan Am airline pilot, a physician, and a lawyer for long periods of time. He defrauded banks and corporations out of incredible sums of money before he was finally caught by the FBI. As a deal for his release from prison, Abagnale joined the FBI and became one of the government's most important figures in anti-fraud protection. He is now much older and is at at the end of his career, and the talk I watched was to employees at Google, during which Abagnale told his own version of the sensational and entertaining movie that most people associate with his life. As it turns out, he never wanted to be a criminal. He started down that path as a frightened kid whose parents were getting a divorce. He ran away and started lying simply because his parents were in a custody dispute and he wanted desperately to avoid a judge who was making him choose between mom and dad. In the talk I watched, Abagnale revealed that nothing in his wild and amazing criminal life and his flights from the law held a candle to the much more common, much more important task of being a father to the children he was lucky enough to raise after he got out of prison. His whole crazy story started with a misdirected love for his parents. That's the story of Frank Abagnale, as he tells it. That's who he was. Who was Jonah? Why did he run away? Why was he willing to risk death at sea to avoid God's command to go to Nineveh? One of the great things about the Bible story of Jonah is that we get to ask questions like these. The element of the story of Jonah that makes it unique in the Bible is the perspective from which the story is told. The Bible tells of many prophets who are called by God, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Paul, the disciples of Jesus, and we are told that many of them try to get out of what God is asking them to do. What is special about Jonah's story is that he actually runs away and we get to follow him along the way and see what happens. The story of Jonah is actually four chapters long and most of us know only what happens in the first chapter. The call from God, Jonah running away, the storm on the boat, all of that happens in chapter one. Chapter 2 is Jonah's monologue given from the belly of the fish. It's a prayer. He's sorry. He wishes he had done what God told him to do. Chapter 3 begins with a moment that is supposed to be funny. Having spent a bunch of time praying in the belly of this large fish, Jonah is vomited onto the beach and God appears again to Jonah. Now will you go to Nineveh, God asks Jonah. Okay, I'll go, says Jonah. And what follows is surprising. Nineveh is an enormous city. 
We're told that it takes Jonah three whole days to walk from one end to the other. But he does it, and he says, as he was told to do, 40 days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Over and over and over again. The surprising result is that everybody listens, especially the king. Jonah's mission is given no context, no mention of God, no argument with the people. He just walks from one end to the other of this gigantic city, saying one sentence over and over and over again. And the king of Nineveh sits up and listens and says, we need to listen and we need to change. And he forces everyone in the city to repent and beg for God's forgiveness. Even the cows and the chickens are forced to enter into a time of fasting. And the city is saved. When God saves the people of Nineveh, Jonah is angry. He's angry. And that's the subject of chapter 4. For reasons that we don't exactly understand, Jonah wants the original plan to be carried out. He wants Nineveh to be destroyed. Stubborn old Jonah seems disappointed that the people listened to him and did what he told them to do. Again, I ask, who is this Jonah? Why does he run? When he finally goes to Nineveh, why do they listen to him? And now, when the people change their ways and God forgives them, why does Jonah still want the people to be destroyed? You could have a fun little Bible study by just getting together with a group of friends and speculating about the answers to these questions. Perhaps, like Frank Abagnale, Jonah had his own complicated story of grief and confusion that may just explain the whole thing. I'm not sure that's the point, though. Nor do I think in the long run that those questions would amount to a very good Bible study. After all, even if it is a good story, most of us don't get up and come to church because we're curious about some guy named Jonah. We come because we want to know something about God. And the real value of this story is that while Jonah is going along as the central character in the story, we are also getting a chance to see how God responds to Jonah at each turn. And that may be the most helpful thing about studying this story. One of the first things this story tells us about God is that God is persistent even with people who are not persistent about their faith. God asks Jonah to go to Nineveh. He tells him he's going on God's behalf. God will be with him. The implication here is that things will go all right. But when Jonah is disobedient and cowardly in response, God still follows him to the ends of the earth, stirring up a storm to get his attention, summoning a giant fish to swallow him and save his life. 
Jonah's actions do not indicate that he is a very good prophet, that he is very valuable as prophets go. And nevertheless, he is valuable to God in ways that our love and faith often is not, God's love and faith in us is persistent. Second, this story suggests that God's love is responsive. God is not arbitrary. God listens to us. God sometimes gets a a bad rap, especially among Christians, for being judgmental, cruel, and violent in the Old Testament. People talk about the Old Testament God as the one who smites and destroys evildoers. Now, you can certainly find evidence to support claims such as those, but they often arise out of rather simplistic readings of these ancient scriptures. In those simplistic readings, much is lost. When Christians are dismissive of the Old Testament, we miss out on the tremendous wisdom it offers. And we ignore the obvious fact that this is the same God who appears in the New Testament in the form of Jesus. So if we claim to be serious about Jesus, we ought to pay attention to the God of the Old Testament. Suggesting that there is some difference between the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New, we also participate in a form of anti-Semitism that has had some horrific consequences for Jews. So Jonah's story is important because it cannot be denied that in this story, God is not only persistent, God is compassionate and responsive. God is not only persistent in loving Jonah, God's mind is changed about destroying the people of Nineveh. God listens. God changes course midstream. God cares about what the people are doing. God responds. If someone in your life today is lost, if someone in your life today is on the run, this is precisely the way you would hope for God to act. And this is God in the Old Testament. Finally, in the story of Jonah, we learn something about God by taking note of the people toward whom God is responsive and compassionate. The most important piece of historical context in this book of the Bible is the city to which Jonah is sent, Nineveh. At the time when this book was written, the Ninevites were the bitterest enemies of the people of Israel. Some rabbis have suggested that if this book were given to the Jews in the 1930s, Jonah would have been sent to Berlin. Which is to say, as the Bible says over and over and over again in so many different stories, God is not partial 
to insiders. God does not prefer one race or class or people or country to another. God does not prefer people who are members, who are part of a group, who are part of an in-crowd. God does not prefer people who are in positions of power or authority. No, what God desires is faithfulness and service from everyone. And when good faithfulness and good service comes, even from people who we assume to be bitter enemies, God is quick to welcome them, just the same way that God welcomes a chosen people called Israel. A persistent God. A compassionate God. A responsive God. A God who welcomes all and shows no preference. Perhaps I shouldn't wait another decade before I preach.